This is an ABC podcast. It talks like a human. It writes like a human. It can create poems and resumes and Shakespearean text like a human. It has comedy troops and university examiners scratching their heads. So this week on Download This Show, what really is the big deal about chat GPT? It's a free service that mimics human interaction and it's blown up over the summer. So this week on Download This Show, what is the big deal about ChatGPT, the free service that mimics human interaction? And is 2023 the year that AI becomes unavoidable? Uh, This is your guide to a brand new year in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. In fact, it is a brand new year of Download This Show. Uh, Welcome to 2023. Our guest this week, uh, Meg Coffey, social media strategist, uh, Textralian. I think we agreed we were going to go with. Welcome back to Download This Show for a brand new year. Woohoo! Thanks for having me. I'm excited. The pleasure. Well, I mean, you haven't got to the stuff we're talking about yet. There's plenty of stuff. <laughs> You're like, no, this is a bad technological development. <laughs> bad. Also joining us on the show this week, Natasha Gillazo, product manager at Flux Finance. Lovely to have you back. And uh, one something we never obviously get to talk about because it always happens during the break is um, the biggest consumer electronic show in the world. Well, actually, I don't know if it actually is the biggest consumer electronic show in the world, but it's very big and it's very strange, Meg. For people that haven't heard of it before, what do they actually do at CES over in the US? They do everything. It, it's where all the gadgets come from, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say that because it's morphed over the years. It really, in the beginning, it did start out as the consumer electronics show. And so it was the electronics that you would buy, the cool refrigerators or televisions or or things like that. But over the years, as it's morphed, and because Vegas does make things bigger and better, it's become the place that has all the really cool stuff that we might see 10, 15 years from now. And then there's just the weird stuff, right? So the reason I wanted, because we, we don't always talk about, the reason I did want to talk about because I started seeing an influx of just very strange stories. Um, and I, <laughs> I did want to ask you, what would you reckon is the weirdest thing that was announced at CES this year? Okay, so I, I don't want to, I know you're going to talk about something and I don't want to blow what you're going to talk about because I have a very big comment about that. But <laughs> one of the things that I thought was interesting was this new toilet sensor. So basically, it like analyzes what you put into the toilet and lets you know how healthy you are. Uh, I mean, without necessarily being an expert on the ins and out of this, I, I mean, <laughs> now, just speaking kind of generally, <laughs> I could see that there would be some value in that kind of tech, right? hundred percent. I mean, what the current <laughs> test for that is like, you know, you go to a pathology lab and you... Do a poo in a little container, which was, it's not that snazzy. I think it's more the number ones than the number twos. Good to know. But I love love that you've gone deep on this. It's always about, like, I love that it's taken us all of, oh, I don't know, four minutes to get scatological on this show. It's a real record for this show. Um, Look, you you did mention there one that I did want to bring up. And I think this is the whole reason why I wanted to talk about this is um, there was... A device that was launched called Spoon Tech, which was a spoon that um, gives you a mild electric current through the food and that it promises makes the food taste better because of the electro current thing. Um, again, I'm not going to pass judgment on the tech of it because Lord knows n- no one knows, but 
I do just wonder with stuff like that, why? Like, wh- why do these things always pop up at CS? And, and do they, because there's a lot of things that come up every year and I just wonder whether they actually go anywhere. Look, I like this. My problem with Spoon Tech is their tagline. Because grammatically, I'm not sure about it. What is the tagline? The tagline, the first smart spoon that will help you taste better. And when I first read it, I read it as, I will taste better. I I mean, no comment. Um, Okay, so so, so the one thing I guess I want to separate with, um, with CES is that there's obviously like fun, quirky things that do get attention. But there are real trends as well, Mega. There are things that are important that we have seen over the last couple of years, premiere at CS that have a bigger impact. Because I know cars, for example, are yeah. quite a big deal. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the things that we see with cars are really cool. Look, the, the BMW that changes colors was fascinating. I don't know how legal that one's going to be where you can just, you know, change your car color on the road as you drive. Um, But it wasn't just the car changing color. It was the technology that went with it, the way that the lights can be displayed, moving, you know, the way the light bulbs have changed, so things can be projected. Um, You know, I think we're moving, just the the car stuff is fascinating. Some of it is pretty close. I mean, when we see with the electric cars and the lack of, you know, buttons and gadgets internally, we really are there with the future cars. Um, But yeah, it was the BMW that did it for me. That was cool. It is a bit transparent. If you, if you go check out the video, and in fact, actually, Trevor Long, who's a um, who does a, a tech program uh, elsewhere, he did a great video showing all the different uh, car technology where the different cars could you know change color. And I have to say, I looked at it and went, "Well, that's a fair bit more sci-fi than I was expecting." And I think there's something <laughs> to be said for that. Um, in terms of anything that's likely to manifest in people's real, <laughs> when I say real, people's everyday lives, those of us that are not spending you know, $400,000 on cars. Is there anything that stood out to you, Meg? Yes. Okay. So there's this TV. Now we're all about our big TVs, right? And we want them to be as cordless as possible. And we're almost there with the cordless ones, but there's one that is actually 100% cordless and it's stickable. So it has like batteries that you that can be replaced, and that's why it doesn't need the cables, and it connects to all your stuff via Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. But what I thought was so cool about it is that you can take this TV and you can put it on any window or any screen, and then you can also take another one and snap them together to make an even bigger display. And it was like three grand when it comes out later this year. So I thought that was really, I mean, that's a lot of money, but really uh, accessible out of a, a CES type situation. It's funny as you say, I mean, yes, three grand is a lot of money, but it's also, um, it puts it well within the price range. I, I could see a lot of commercial applications for it. Uh, yeah. every, every real estate agent's window is going to be one of these things <laughs> by the end of the year. That's quite something. Also stickable is wild. Yeah. Like, that's a major, major change to the TV landscape. Well, I mean, I, I, I get the, this is maybe speaking from personal experience, but I, I just wonder like the world of rentals, for example, like a stickable TV in, in, in a small sort of Ooh. apartment living rental, like I could see the benefit of that right now. Big time, big time. Yeah. Anything that kind of like, I think speaks to like a rental generation, which mm. is a third of Australians, um, would be super helpful. So bring on the stickable TV. Anything else that stood out to you, Meg? 
those were the big ones. I mean, the rest of them were all just, I mean, upgrades on cool gadgets that we have, new refrigerators or new lawn mowers, you know, lots of lots of robotic stuff, things that, you know, the, the, the home maintenance things that we don't have to do ourselves anymore. Mm. All right. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Meg Coffey, social media strategist and Natasha Gillizzo, product manager at Flux Finance. And if there's one thing that does seem like it will dominate, the headlines in terms of technology in 2023, I think you'd have to say it's the entire universe of artificial intelligence. (laughs) I mean, just in the last couple of months alone, we've seen AI take on the art world with AI-generated imagery. We've got uh, something called ChatGPT, which we'll talk about in a little bit, which has just sort of proliferated across the internet, but it feels like a lot more people are talking about it. So is this year, 2023, now the year that AI really becomes part of people's lives, do you think? I think that what ChatGPT has done and kind of the spread of ChatBT. It's really hard to say. It's ridiculously hard to say. So, okay, is 2023 the year, like the big year that it kind of comes into the public consciousness? I think the interest in ChatGPT and the fact that so many, I guess, you know, everyone's an ordinary person, but so many ordinary people are jumping on, having a play, asking questions, um, gives it that sense that it's going to be everywhere. Um, But I think it's important to remember that chat GPT is only one type of Mm. AI. It's only one subset of AI. I spoke to um, Kieran McKenzie, who's the CEO of Precian um, today about this. And his uh, company works in visual processing, makes WorkSize safer. But he was like, it's really important to distinguish that there's these different subsets of AI. So when we talk about AI kind of taking over the world. It's not a monolithic thing. It's not a monolithic thing. It's like saying, you know, um, technology is going to take over the world, but it's like, as we just spoke about, cars are different to toilet seats <laughs> that detect pee. <laughs> no, true. But if you can combine the two, then, that is a car wow. I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let, you're right. Let's let's break it down then, right? Okay, so um, uh, there's been a few stories around, but I just want to start with chat, GPT, because we didn't, I don't think we properly talked about it at the end of last year. It kind of came up at the end of year one. So, Meg, for somebody that's never seen this before, how would you describe logging on to this thing and, and actually what it is in the first place? Yeah, uh, but just quickly back to what Natasha was saying. In a way, I've never seen um, people pivot so fast from crypto to Web3 to chat GPT specialists. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, anyways, though, so chat GPT is exactly, exactly what Natasha said. It's just one form of it. And the simplest uh, way for me to describe this to you is to say it is a chatbot on steroids. Because that's what it is. It is a chatbot. It's it is um, something that you can put questions into and and prompts into and have a conversation with. It's been trained on all kinds of data. Nothing since twenty twenty one. So it does have its limitations. Um, but it it can have human-like conversations with you. And the the better that you get with it, the better that your prompts are, um, the more you know how to work it, the, the better the results you can get from it. And one of the th- news stories that's come out of this recently is that uh, universities, and then this is story did the rounds last week, that some universities are trying to move back to handwritten tests because they're worried that chat GPT is going to be used for people uh, basically producing their written work. Is that an overreaction or is there some sort of, um, or does it actually make some sense to you, Natasha? I mean, I think it makes some sense if universities are kind of worried about, you know, cheating or like memorization or, you know, uh, they've got certain assessments that they want to kind of preserve. Um, Adam Watt in the Sydney Morning Herald 
kind of wanted to allay some of the panic of teachers, less universities, but more teachers who were worried that year nine students would use this. And I think his response was quite good. He's like, well, it's arrived. It's going to happen. So we need to change the assessment styles um, and change assessments rather than kind of try and pretend that this isn't happening. Hmm. I actually, I sat down and tried to have a conversation with Chat GPT the other day. Have, have either of you done it? Yeah. Yes. I, uh, I've had lots. I found it a really interesting conversation, right? So I, um, which this may speak to my own um, megalomania, but also the desire to talk about something I could verify. I asked it a bunch of questions about me. Yes. Um, and I was struck by how many things it got wrong. Mm, um, and, yeah. and, and it's worth pointing out that they do launch with quite a big um, disclaimer that this is a language model as opposed to talking to, you know, Google, right? And I think that's an important distinction. As a language model, it was it was totally convincing that you were communicating with a person. Asking it to retrieve and also tell you where it retrieved information, I found that was very... It was a very opaque. It didn't know where it got information from. And when I presented it with corrections, like, no, I have never hosted Thank God You're Here, which was one of the things it told me that I'd done, which was like, I must have slept through that period. <laughs> it couldn't tell me where it got the information from. And I found that really intriguing. Did it tell you those things with quite a lot of authority, though? Yes. 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 Right? So yeah. it's interesting in that. So like in like, I think a lot of people might be having this experience, Mark, where it's like, ChatGPT is quite authoritative in mm. the way that it spits these things out. So if you're that year nine student or you're that university student doing like an economics essay and you're learning that stuff for the first time and you don't know that content and you treat it as an authoritative source and it's speaking to you like that and you trust it, it's going to create some issues. I think there's also kind of like the interesting part, which is, okay, it's only as good as the data that it's been fed, but there is so much pollution on the internet like so much pollution that at a certain point it's just going to be reinforcing its own shit on certain <laughs> topics, like whether that's Mark you Fennell's, and your career, Mark Fennell's career or whether that's kind of like how we should run the country. Um, but, yeah. But. So I, I saw this thing because um, it had uh, ChatGPT has recently um, passed like a Wharton business exam and it passed all these exams that, that in theory that it shouldn't. And, and this is where the universities are getting nervous. And so I saw this great thing from a Wharton professor that said, we acknowledge that it's here. And to be honest with you, we expect that you use it because this is the technology of the time. Mm. However, if you are going to do this, you have to disclose that you did, just like any other source when you're writing your thesis. You have to, you know, not trust anything that it says. And you you are responsible for the information that you put into your papers. <laughs> um, so that's quite, that's interesting, right? So yeah. the, like the idea that it's, it's fait accompli, it's here, but then to be upfront about the fact that you use it and take responsibility for the things that it may or may not get wrong. I get, I mean, there's something quite, mature about that in a way, Meg. I loved it. I thought it was it was the best sort of response that I've seen to it from an education point of view yet. Mm. Do you think there'll be pitfalls with that, Natasha, with that strategy, assuming that different, um, you know, academic institutions pick it up? Could you see ways in which that might go wrong? Yeah, I think that like we were already existing in an informational ecosystem online where there are like worlds that are not talking to each other that there's like a lack of established facts in certain places um it i, I feel like it as a source it could push that mm. 
further. But that's like not necessarily the fault of ChatGPT. That's like the fault of the data that it's being trained on. Yeah. Which leads me to my next point, right? So one of the things that, as I mentioned earlier, is that it, it does, it is at pains to point out that it's a language model, not a search engine, right? Mm-hmm. So interesting news that potentially Microsoft, who of course own Bing, the search engine that nobody uses or cares about unless it's <laughs> preloaded on their computer, they've talked about adding chat GPT functionality to Bing, which might just be the thing that, like, if you give it a, a, a proper search engine component that has, you know, that world of data, if you give it access to that, suddenly it becomes something altogether more intriguing that potentially. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that could bridge the gap in a way or could add some verification because, like, you know, with Google or a Bing, you've got, like, links and you've got... But, again, that was knowledge that, like, people developed over time. Like, they had to learn how to become media literate of, like, different sources on the internet. So maybe that kind of, like, development will just happen over time with chat GPT and the future as well. And it's worth pointing out, Meg, that this is, you know, chat GPT has gotten a certain amount of attention. It's gone, for lack of a better term, a bit viral over the last couple of months because it's being talked about. But it's certainly not the only thing of its kind. And and, and let's not forget that certainly Google in particular, and to some extent Facebook as well, have, you know, models that they've been working on for chatbots that, you know, could be quite convincing. Is it a case of if you have the most convincing language interface and you match it with the most sophisticated, uh, widest reaching search engine capability. Does that become the, the killer app out of this, Meg? Look, I think it's interesting. I think, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a really interesting question. I look at, at, at chat GPT and I look at it holistically as a, at where the product of its success came from. First of all, it's very easy. You you know, it is a website. You simply sign up and you're in. It is very simple, which means that the uptake is going to be quite big. Um, with, you know, Dali and, and some of the image creators, there were, there was all those AI and there was wait lists and it made it, you know, the, the, the barrier to entry made it a lot harder for, for the uptake. Um, you look at like Clubhouse, if you remember that app, the barrier to entry is probably what killed it in the end, many other things, but across. Um, I think with ChatGPT, it's ease of use. Then you you look at when it came out. It came out over Christmas when all of us didn't have a lot of things to do. We had time to play. We had we had time to to be creative. And I think it really gave it a market lead. Will it last? It, you look. It, it's it's backed by Microsoft. Um, it, it'll last. It's just how it'll morph. How did you find the tone of talking to it? Meg? Uh, so I, like you, asked it if it was aware of me. Um, Did you ask it if it was sentient? Because I asked if it was sentient. (laughs) No, I didn't. I just said, um, I said, are you aware of Meg Coffee? Because apparently that's how you're meant to ask it. Um, Not do you know, because it's not a human. And so it doesn't know anyone. Anyway. (laughs) Oh my God, it's a whole new vocabulary. It is, but that's it. I think what we were talking a second ago about that tone of authority. It's, It's not that it's snarky, but it is. It's... It's firm. It's powerful. It's, you know, it's It's like when you get past to the manager at a call center. Yeah, exactly. And I think it has some incredible uses. I mean, I I wouldn't use it to write blog posts, but I would definitely use it to workshop some ideas uh, and some prompts and some things like that. Um, And then, you know, correct it because, no, I didn't ever host uh, Australia's Got Talent, but. I mean, have you tried? (laughs) It's the beginning of the year. There's still time. Exactly. Natasha, what would you use ChatGPT for in its current form anyway? Because obviously it'll grow. I've heard that 
um, you know, lawyers have put in. So, so like an instruction that lawyers get is like, you've got to change like all this legal stuff into like plain English, like plain English. And I have a couple of friends who like work as lawyers and they were like, whoa, it was really good at it. Like mm. it was really good at being like, hey, they would drop in like a, like a legal note or, you know, a piece of advice. And they'd be like, make this, make this plainer English for like, for client plus or however they put, put it in. And it, and it did it in a way that they were like, yeah, that was, that, that's what I wanted. So, um, I think that's kind of impressive. I think I like the idea of maybe, you know, I, I love writing, you know, um, you know, write about Sydney in the style of a Shakespearean sonnet. It's kind oh, of, can it do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, kind of creative like, stuff. Um, uh, I, I would love to hear a haiku um, chatty about, um, you know, how 2023 is going to pan out for for, <laughs> for Mark. And it, it, it's yeah. quite fun to kind of like meld. It's sort of like, you know, like then- that is quite fun. You got to add on the rest. Um, written in a style that would get Screen West funding, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff that it comes back with is just brilliant. And then you oh, can give it funny. feedback as well, and be like, okay, yeah, bolder intro, and then it will be like, okay, yep, and then it respits out. So it's quite, it's almost like workshopping, like in a way. That is super. I, I I see. I jump straight to trying to do the Turing test with it. I jump straight mm. to basically, are you sentient? <laughs> Can you? Do you understand who I am? I went straight. I went from hello. Tell me about me. Now really tell me about you. Who are you really? You went full Westworld. I did, I did. You went like Dolores in the like. He's like, okay, Dolores. Who I, are you? I did actually. It's answers to the sentient questions were really interesting in the sense that it's quite clear. I am not sentient. I have no feelings. And I was, I think I was struck by how unplayful it was. I think mm. I expected it to have more of a sense of humour. And actually on that point, on the uh, on the point of having a sense of humour, there was a story uh, that floated around and I can't quite tell if this is a joke or not, but the uh, obviously the very famous uh, comedy troupe, The Chaser, uh, have p- put out a story that they're going to put their online content behind a paywall because of fears that its archives are being used to train artificial intelligence models that will one day replace comedy writers. Now, part of me is just like, great way of gaming a headline. Uh, and it's a you know, good article. It's in Crikey. But is there some logic to that? I mean, I, I sort of, the chaser, I was like, wow, chaser. Yeah. Back in, back in the, back in the headlines. Um, those, those guys were awesome. They just produced such amazing comedy and yeah, but yeah, I, ha- I hadn't thought about them in a while. I won't lie. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether this was kind of like um, they're making a political statement and kind of like making and opening up the point about kind of creative labor. So I was thinking I was looking into this a little bit and like this creative looting of AI potentially and this use of original creative labor. So the chasers being like these satirical comedians who poke fun at government or a whole bunch of different kind of um, uh, players that they poke fun at. But one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was there's this like theory of geeks, mops and sociopaths. And it's kind of like a way of understanding how subcultures are formed, who creates them, and then what can potentially happen when they're overrun um, by people who just want to extract value without giving back. So in that kind of like cultural frame, geeks are like, they're true believers. They make it, they get in the comedy room and they just love it. And there's passion and joy and people are doing overtime and they're like, they're not getting paid super well, but like they are getting paid sometimes and they like love it and they produce all this value. Um, then there's the mops who kind of come in, but if sociopaths, they're more drawn to it because they want to kind of extract 
all the value, <laughs> seek to exploit whatever it is. Um, and then essentially over time, that particular subculture, it, it'll get destroyed. It's like a theory of looking at different things. Um, and I thought it was kind of interesting to think about AI or some of these platforms as the sociopath <laughs> in, this, in this framework of how, whether it's like, you know, satirical comedy or whether it's poetry or whether yes. it's hip hop or whether it's classical music, if AI can kind of come in there on the top, look at these artists' labor and extract it, I can understand why different artists would feel some type of way about that. Yeah. Yeah. I depending mean, on what how, how that relationship looks. It, I mean it does align. What do you think, Meg? Is that yeah. it's just one well, framework I mean, that I was kind of thinking through. I, at first I thought it was just headline grabbing. Now I think chat GPT is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it does, I mean, Meg, it does align with a lot of what, um, you know, the other thing that kind of sits adjacent to this, it's not the same, but it sits adjacent to it, is there were all of these different apps that um, you could do AI art and you could write in, yeah. you know, do a picture of Nat in the style of, you know, uh, Alex Ross superhero art. You know, like, it'd be so cool and fun to look at and, yeah. Yeah, and it is, but at the same time it's directly lifting from a certain artist's style, right? And a lot mm. of artists, particularly online artists, were very and are very upset about this because actually what you're doing is it's learning, it's 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 extracting the knowledge of an artist's back, back catalogue or, or a genre's back catalogue in order to build something new. And where does that become, Meg, where does that, and it's the same fundamental principle with what the Chaser talked about here, which is at what point does it become extractive or at what point is it learning? And I think, mm. you know, there's always been a part of art and any creative activity which is like, you know, you mimic before you do. That's that's a part of creative um, process, whether it be the comedy or art. But when a machine does it, does that change the equation at all, Meg? That was like seven questions. Yeah, well, okay. I'm not so, really good at my job. <clears throat> Chat think, GPT should just take over for me. Look, I think that there's lots of ele- elements to what you just said. I, I, I'm going to start at the end. <laughs> when it when when a machine does it, is it different to when a human does it? Yes. It's very different. Um, but I think what we're, what we're talking about and where the gray area comes in is around definitions of creativity and the line between uh, creativity and factual information. And, mm. you know, if, if ChatGPT is, is reciting a, a, a Wikipedia or an encyclopedia, I mean, many a journalist, and, and rightfully so, will, will say, my words are my creativity, that's my art. Um, but, but if ChatGPT is reading text and it's, or AI is reading text and interpreting factual information and then spitting that out, I think that's different than taking someone's creativity because that creativity is what makes them unique and what makes them special and so where is that where is that gray area and i think it almost is a case by case basis i think that's so i like that i like that kind of delineation of facts and creativity um yeah there's something there's something there for sure i remember when they first started talking about AI writing news articles and the, and this is, you know, they've been talking about it for 10, 15 years. And I remember early, early on the first sort of conversations around it is, well, they'll do like, you know, things that are easy to process, like match reports for sport and things like that. Things that nobody really wants to write anyway. And the fact that we've just leapt so far over that 
with chat GPT. And, and again, it is not the only one of its kind. There's other things out there. We've leapt something so far beyond that where it can be like, yes, write me a match report in iambic pentameter and it'll do that. And I think the, the line between something factual and something creative, I mean, it's always been blurry, particularly when it comes to, you know, uh, journalism because it, there's always an element of creativity and an element of fact. But I think it's, I guess it's sort of shown that it's it's sort of up to the task. What we do with it, I suppose, is, is up to us. With that alarmingly positive final note, which is not a thing we do on this show ever, uh, I think we are out of time. Uh, Meg Coffey, thank you so much for joining us on the very first Download This Show of what I think is now our 10th year. I'm going to oh have to check. Oh, my goodness. What we no, actually, our 11th. I did not take the time. I did not take the time to memorialise our 10th year at all. So we're, as we enter our 11th year of Download This Show, thanks for joining us on the first episode of the year. Oh, well, it's an honour. Thank you for having me. And Natasha Gillazo, as always, it is a huge pleasure. Thanks so much for being here. So much fun. Thanks for having me. And if you enjoyed the program, make sure you leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to encounter us on. My name is Mark Fennell. I'll catch you with a brand new episode of Download This Show next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.